Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. The world around us rages in confusion and chaos. But Lord, we can always come to and come back to your word for our foundation, for your truth. And that truth fills us with your peace. Lord, in this world of upheaval, where there is no foundation, we are grateful that you have given to us yourself and your word as our foundation to build upon. That we can always come to your word, drink deeply from it, and know that what we are reading is the truth, your truth, and that its words of life and power are seeping into us. So Lord, I pray that your spirit would go forth, use your words, change something in us, grow something in us, and I pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. There was a Reader's Digest article published towards the end of this past year entitled, 37 Calm Quotes That Will Bring You Inner Peace. Author Henry David Thoreau is quoted as saying, You cannot perceive beauty but with a serene mind. Motivational speaker Brian Tracy said, Set peace of mind as your highest goal and organize your life around it. The Dalai Lama was quoted with, Calm mind brings inner strength and self-confidence, so that's very important for good health. And lastly, Buddhist nun Pima Chodron said, You are the sky, everything else is just the weather. Whatever that one means. <laughs> Regardless of how meaningless most of the quotes in that article were, and I hope you picked up on that, once you delve even the most little bit under the immediate surface, and the ones I referenced, they all sound nice on the surface, but they all utterly fail at answering perhaps the most important question on this topic. They all stress the importance of peace and calmness, but none explain how one gains peace and calmness. I think one of the most highly desired things in this earthly life, especially as you get older, but also one of the most seemingly elusive things in this earthly life is having peace. Am I right? Amen. Having peace. And we live in a world where it seems like Eastern religions and New Ageism have the corner on achieving inner peace. So where does true peace come from and how can we have it? Can we live an earthly life as believers in Jesus in a continual state of peace? Is that possible? Jesus' words in this morning's passage unlock the answers to those questions. Again, as we've referenced time and time again lately, the immediate context of these verses is that Jesus is observing his last Passover meal with his disciples before his death and resurrection, and he had been dropping some pretty heavy information on his disciples. Again, as we've been referencing, he had revealed to them that he would physically be leaving them, 
that Peter would deny knowing him three times, that Satan would be personally targeting all of them, and that one of them would betray him unto a horrific death. Last week, we picked back up again with Jesus revealing that he would not be leaving them as orphans in this world, but that the Holy Spirit would indwell them permanently, not just as one member of the Trinity, but as a revelation of all three members of the Trinitarian Godhead. Because of all three members of the Trinity working together in perfect unity through the indwelling Holy Spirit, they would bring back to Jesus' disciples' minds all that Jesus said to them and open their spiritual eyes to understand God's word. The purpose of that wasn't just so they could understand it and it just stay in their heads here, but the purpose of that was to empower them through the indwelling Holy Spirit to actually be able to keep and obey the commandments for righteous living found throughout God's word. Remember, the purpose for Jesus saving us is not so we can just have a good life or even to be assured we're going to end up in heaven. The purpose, according to Romans 8, of Jesus saving us because of God's predestination of us is to be conformed to the image of his son. That's the purpose of it. It has nothing to do with us or what we want. It's to be conformed to the image of his son. It's to, as Paul references in Romans 12, be transformed from a worldly way of thinking and processing everything and be conformed to the image and likeness of Jesus in every way and in every area of our lives. That foundational understanding of the purpose of our salvation directly informs our understanding of this morning's passage. Jesus had already revealed the hope that he was leaving with his disciples through the giving of the indwelling Holy Spirit, even though they would be dealing with a lot of spiritual attack, heartbreak, darkness, and pain. And now in this morning's passage, Jesus reveals the source of how they can also have true peace. Not only in the coming events, for the rest of their earthly lives. And it goes without saying that this truth extends to us as Jesus' disciples today. So, if you brought your Bible with you today, please turn to John chapter 14. We're going to be pick, picking up in verse 27. We're actually going to be ending uh, the chapter of, uh, of John 14 this morning. Uh, so we're going to pick up in verse 27. Uh, if you didn't bring your Bible with you, that's okay. There should be one located in the pew in front of you. Please also turn to John chapter 14 or look this up on your favorite Bible app on your smartphone. This is what we pick up with uh, in verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Now there's a lot to dig out of this verse, especially in connection with the rest of this chapter, and especially with the rest of God's word. Firstly is what Jesus first says in verse 27, how he opens that up with, peace I leave with you. As one biblical scholar points out, this phrase is using the common Jewish greeting slash goodbye of shalom or peace. Everything Jesus has been saying lately has been leading to this point. He's been telling his disciples that they have to start preparing themselves for the fact that he would be physically leaving them soon. 
And so once again, to kick off this section of what he will tell them, he's giving them a goodbye phrase. In other words, this begins his farewell address for all intents and purposes. He gets this across by both giving them the common goodbye phrase, but seeing as what he says immediately afterwards, he's also including a statement of truth. My peace I give to you. My peace I give to you. He's telling them goodbye, but he's also telling them that he would be leaving them with his peace. This peace is unlike anything anyone had ever experienced before because it was Jesus' peace that he was giving to those who followed him, loved him, and therefore, according to verse 15, kept his commandments. But this peace that only Jesus will give is directly tied to his farewell. We're going to come back to the rest of verse 27, but for now I want to jump ahead to verse 28 because this is what is directly connected to Jesus' peace being intertwined with his departure. Verse 28, you heard that I said to you, I go away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Again, as one biblical scholar notes, Jesus could tell that his disciples were still being inwardly focused. They were only thinking about themselves and what, how all Jesus' words were impacting them. They were still being self-centered and only thinking about what Jesus' departure meant towards them in a sad and discouraging way. But Jesus is saying, if you guys were mature, if you guys were mature enough in your faith, you would be happy for me. You would understand that I left my heavenly dwelling to come down to earth to be utterly humiliated in every way, soon to die an unspeakably tortuous death, and soon I get to go back to my Father. You should be happy for me. By Jesus adding the statement in verse 28, for the Father is greater than I, once again connects back with Jesus' mission of his first advent. The disciples were disheartened because they thought, as we saw even as recently as Judas Thaddeus last week, that Jesus was supposed to be setting up his earthly kingdom right then and there. But that was not the purpose of Jesus' first advent. The purpose of Jesus' first advent was for him to undergo the humiliating death he would soon experience, leading to his impending resurrection and ascension back to God the Father and being glorified and seated at the Father's right hand. As such, not only should the disciples rejoice for Jesus and that he would be able to go back to being with God the Father and return to his heavenly home in glory, but they should also rejoice at what the death and resurrection that would lead to Jesus' departure from the earth the first time around would open up to them. Directly related to this peace, he's revealing he would be giving to them. Just as we opened up our message time this morning, I have another quote, this time from Dr. David Jeremiah. He stated in one of his sermons one time, and I can only paraphrase, I hope I'm not butchering it, but it's along the same lines as this. We cannot have peace from God until we have peace with God. We cannot have peace from God until we have peace with God. 
We could not even begin to experience the peace that Jesus promised to give to his disciples unless he first won that peace with God for us. And that could only come about through his death and resurrection. A lot of people firmly and truly believe that they can have inner peace through emptying their minds, entering a state of peace through meditation, or chant or repeat phrases until they have peace. Every other belief in achieving inner peace is based on what you can do for yourself or what you can do to attract good energy or chi into your life, or you doing certain practices to enter a state of mindless bliss. All of these attempts of gaining inner peace are all based on yourself and what you can do for yourself. But according to God's word, can we give ourselves inner peace or achieve inner peace through anything we can do for ourselves? No. According to God's word, can we have peace apart from God? No. And according to God's word, can we have God's peace being enemies of him in our sin and rebellious state before him? No. So according to God's word, the gift of peace can only come by way of someone else outside of ourselves bringing and gifting us peace with God in order to be given that peace from God. And that, as we've seen from God's word time and time again, can only come through accepting the fact that you, in your sinful and rebellious state before most holy God, you could not be reconciled to him on your own or doing enough good works to earn his favor. In fact, time and time again, we see that we must repent of our sinfulness and rebellion against most holy God. Time and time again, we see that we must accept that the sinless son of God and son of man had to take our place as a substitute to pay for the death for our sin and rebellion that only has and only ever will earn us both physical death and the second death of eternal hell. And time and time again, we see that we must commit the rest of our days to surrendering to and living for him as king. That is the only way. I don't want that to be lost on anybody. That is the only way we can have peace with God, forgiveness from our sin and rebellion, and have all the inheritance and treasure of heaven, including the peace that only Jesus can give, opened up for us. There is no other way. The Apostle uh, Paul explains this truth clearly when he writes, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we ha also have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we celebrate in hope of the glory of God. God's word is very clear that this world and its inhabitants are embroiled in a war 
that has lasted for thousands of years. If you have not repented of your sins and taken Jesus as your Savior and your King, you are actively fighting for Satan and his army and forces of evil. There is no middle ground. I hate to break it to you. There is no your truth and my truth. There is one truth, and this is it. The only way to have peace in the midst of this war is to surrender to King Jesus. Surrender your sin and surrender who you are and everything you think your identity is and should be. As we referenced last week, only in laying down your arms and stopping fighting against God and his truth and his word, and rather surrendering to his truth and his plan of salvation and his word, can any of us have peace with God? Once again, the only way to have peace is to have that peace given to you by God, and you can only have that by being given peace with God. When we take Jesus' death and resurrection initiated by his farewell address here in this morning's passage, for our own in repentance, we're given the Holy Spirit to indwell us. And what's a clear fruit of the Spirit? Third one down the list. Love, joy, peace. So as we see from God's word, once we have peace with God, we are given peace from God, of God, by way of the indwelling Holy Spirit, whom we've been spending quite a bit of time on in this section of the Gospel of John, growing it in us. What is one way the Holy Spirit grows the fruit of peace within us? By following this command in Paul's letter to the Philippian church. Rejoice in the Lord always. Just when we feel like it? Okay, that was pathetic. <laughs> Just when we feel like it? No. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, as if somebody didn't pick up on the first time he said it, I will say, rejoice. Do not be anxious about what? Anything. Some things? No. Anything. But in everything by prayer and pleading with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God and then we are given this promise and the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus let's delve into that a little bit the spiritual fruits of joy and peace are very closely related. Remember what the word for joy in the New Testament conveys? The word for joy does not translate to happiness. The word for joy means in the New Testament, looking for God's grace in every situation, no matter how difficult that situation is. That is what joy is, according to the New Testament. Looking for God's grace in every situation, no matter how difficult that situation is. A portion of God's grace will always still be there. 
Whether he was still providing in another way you weren't looking for, or giving protection in another way you didn't appreciate at first, or providing an opportunity for being stretched and grown in your faith. If we look for God's grace in every situation, no matter how difficult it is, we can always be joyful. We can always be joyful. And the Holy Spirit will always use those as opportunities to grow the fruit of joy in our hearts, minds, and lives. This is why Paul starts these verses out with rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say it, rejoice. This always joy, in turn, directly flows into the fruit of peace. The Holy Spirit will grow in our hearts and minds, as Paul writes next. We are commanded to never be anxious or fearful about anything. And Jesus says the exact same words in our passage this morning. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. What is the default? What is our heart's default? It's always to default to worry and fear and anxiety, right? That's what the default is in our limited fallen humanity. That's what we always default to. Jesus is telling us, you need to be on guard about that. And there needs to be an action word here. Do not let it. If you start feeling yourself flip, slipping into that fear, into that anxiety, into that worry, you've got to remind yourself about these truths and not let it slip into that by default. Paul says, I take every thought captive, make, submitting it to the will of God. We are commanded to never be anxious or fearful about anything. That is an extreme treasure that we've been given as Christians, haven't we? How many times do we say, thanks for the treasure, God. How many times do we do that with the way that we live our lives on an everyday basis? We have been given an extreme treasure of not being fearful or anxious about anything. And we're commanded to never be anxious or fearful about anything. But take whatever we are being anxious or fearful about and take it to God in prayer, along with the thanksgiving of joy and leaving it there at His feet. When we rejoice in the Lord in every situation and we take the things we're anxious and fearful about, with a mindset of giving thanks and remaining in the joy of the Lord and leave them at his feet, God makes a promise to us. And that promise is this. The peace of God, which is the same exact peace Jesus is talking about in verse 27 of our passage this morning, will be poured out in our hearts and minds. This peace that can only come from God because of the peace first made with God, is beyond all human comprehension, as it says right here. It's the same truth Jesus says in John 14, 27, and that it's not peace that the world can give. It's not at all the same thing. Or that the world can even understand this all goes hand in hand with what we've been talking about this whole message. You cannot have true peace through anything this world has to offer. 
So stop looking for it there. Through none of its religions, through none of its meditations, and through none of its attempts to achieve inner peace. Unrepentant and unregenerate sinners, rebellious against God and their sin and enemies before God, will never be able to understand this peace or the source of this peace, just like with all the other treasures of being saved by God, by God's grace, through repentance and trust in Jesus as Savior and King. They will forever be chasing after anything and everything the world has to offer to have peace and will never have it. As with everything else about having a relationship with God through Jesus, they will forever remain blind to this peace, for their spiritual eyes have not been opened to see it or experience it for themselves. A literal understanding of Philippians 4, 7, and talking about this peace of God is this, is that it is higher or superior or above all human intellect. That's the literal understanding. Just like how Paul explains in 1 Corinthians 1 that God's plan of salvation found in Jesus and Jesus alone cannot be discovered through human philosophy or intelligence, but can only be discovered through his opening of our spiritual eyes through the Holy Spirit to see it and understand it. It's the exact same with the peace of God. So those of us who have laid down our arms of rebellion and repentance and surrender to Jesus as, as king and have had our spiritual eyes opened by the Holy Spirit, that Holy Spirit of that very same king will do what for us? In Christ Jesus, guard our hearts and minds. Now this may have been obvious to some of you already, but this is a clear military word in the Greek to describe a military guard sentinel set up to both actively guard a target and display whatever defensive and offensive means necessary to publicly show that that target is under a heavy and competent military guard. That's all wrapped up in that word guard. In other words, the peace of God given only to those in Christ Jesus sets up a heavy military guard over and around our hearts and minds, targets of the enemy displaying to that enemy, hands off, and defensively and offensively doing whatever necessary to fight off those attacks that both come from the fallenness of our human flesh and spiritual attacks. So, if you don't feel that military guard of God's peace, guess what? The blame is not on God. The blame is not on God. He makes his promises, and he always keeps his promises. Have you gone AWOL? and left the military camp of God? Or if you haven't exactly gone AWOL, have you continually let your anxiety and fear rule over you, shouting to the enemy, hey, here I am, have at me. 
Have you allowed yourself to be lax in reading the words of power and strength found only in the word of God and letting them transform your mind? Have you allowed yourself to be far from your military commander and communing with him in prayer? Brothers and sisters, we are always at war. Never forget that. We are always at war. And thus must always seek to remain as close to our military commander as possible, drinking deeply from his word and through the strength of the Holy Spirit enabling us to being able to follow it, connecting to the vine of life in prayer, a glimpse at what we'll be talking about soon, and leaving our fears and anxieties with him through praying in joy and through thanksgiving. This is all wrapped up in Ephesians 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. It's not saying so that if the devil starts scheming at you, you're always in a state of the devil scheming at you. That's why we must always put on the full armor of God. With every prayer and request, pray when it's convenient, when we want to, at all times in the Spirit. This is how we fight in this war. And with this in view, be alert with all perseverance and every request for all the saints. There's another source of the peace that only God can give, as Jesus references next in this morning's passage, verses 29 through 31. Now, I have told you before it happens, so that when it happens, you may believe. I will not speak much more with you, for the ruler of the world is coming, and he has nothing in me. But so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father commanded me. Get up, let us go from here. When we place these verses in this immediate context, we can pretty easily gather what Jesus is referring to, albeit not directly. The it that Jesus is referring to in verse 29 is his death and resurrection. He has already told and will continue to tell his disciples about his impending death, resurrection, ascension, and what all that would mean for their salvation from their sins. So when it happens, even though it may not be immediately apparent, the Holy Spirit would open their spiritual eyes as Jesus already revealed in verse 26, and then they would understand. This it, or his death and resurrection, is what directly informs the next verses. In verse 30, Jesus says that he doesn't have much time to talk to them about these things because the ruler of the world, Satan, was working quickly through Judas Iscariot to bring about that imminent death. But as one biblical scholar points out, as much control over the situation as Satan thinks he has, Jesus reveals he has nothing in him. Not only does Satan have uh, no control over Jesus because he is sinless. 
And Satan only has power over sinners, but whatever control Satan thinks he has over the situation with Jesus is really just a mirage. As Jesus will divulge next in verse 31, what will happen to him very, very soon by way of the cross is not something Satan is making happen, has any control over, and has any kind of victory in. Jesus still has all the control. He's only going to the cross out of loving his father and doing exactly as his father commanded of him in his plan of salvation for humanity. As Philippians 2.8 says, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This was nothing Satan has any control over or any victory over Jesus in. This was entirely Jesus humbling himself, Jesus obeying the Father in his plan, and Jesus willingly giving himself over to being sacrificed. Verse 31 ends with Jesus' command to his disciples for them to all get up and leave the upper room. And we'll come back to when this was in relation to Jesus' continued words in John 15, John 16, John 17. But for now, Jesus establishes prophecy that would be fulfilled very, very soon. Establishing biblical and sound doctrine and the fulfillment of that prophecy leading to biblical and sound doctrine based on that. All of that is the same death and resurrection Jesus has been referring to here in this passage, which in turn, as we come full circle back to the very beginning of this morning's passage in verse 27, is another source of God-given peace. Jesus' death and resurrection is the only basis for our salvation, and it's the only basis for us becoming children of God and being adopted into his family, and it's the only basis for the Holy Spirit to open our spiritual eyes to see and understand that and the rest of what's in God's Word. Knowing and having and trusting biblical doctrine on God being our Father and taking care of our needs and giving us his protection and watch care over us and knowing that he'll give us his comfort in times of heartbreaks and loss avoids a lot of anxiety and fear that those in this world who don't have Jesus deal with every day of their lives and rather is a source of peace for us as children of God bought with the blood of Jesus. This truth of being children of God based on Jesus' death and resurrection gives us the biblical doctrine of his sovereignty and plan for our individual lives as well as the whole world. This biblical doctrine tells us that God is always in control over his entire plan for this entire world. This biblical doctrine teaches us that God is sovereign over every single aspect of our lives. He chose who he would have grace on to save through his son and who he wouldn't have grace on to save before he even laid the foundations of the universe. He then leads through his Holy Spirit to move in those he has already chosen in his timing and plan to bring them to faith in Jesus, 
He, then, is the one who preserves those he has chosen and saved, seen by the fruit of repentance, transformation by the Holy Spirit, and a seeking to know and obey God's word until their souls go to be with Jesus or Jesus comes back for them. Not only death, not, or not even death, can separate them from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Those who he has chosen, saved, and preserved through his Holy Spirit are sealed for an eternity of endless joy with him. That biblical doctrine is a huge source of peace, is it not? When it especially comes to the loved ones we've talked to till we're blue in the face about Jesus and they still continually reject him. It's not you. It's God and his plan. And if and when he chooses to lead that loved one to faith in him, it will only be through his movement. All we are to do is to remain faithful to Jesus, his message, and his truth. And that biblical doctrine is a huge source of peace when nothing in our lives makes sense. This biblical doctrine of God's sovereignty still holds true. He still loves us. He is still working out his plan for good. And we can still trust him in every circumstance. And that biblical doctrine is a huge source of peace when it comes to us as God's children and his sovereignty and plan over all the chaos happening in the world all around us. This world truly is evil and will just continue to get more and more evil. We shouldn't be surprised about that. But Jesus already holds the victory over it and gives us the victory over it. Lastly, but not exhaustively, biblical doctrine based on Jesus' death and resurrection teaches us that only those of us who have been saved by God's sovereign grace over us have our spiritual eyes opened by the Holy Spirit to know and understand what God's word says and then are enabled and empowered by that same Holy Spirit to live it out, especially when it means intense persecution and being maligned by the rest of the world. That gives us the great peace of knowing that it's God's word, not anybody else's opinion or anything. It's God's word that teaches us that human life begins at conception. And since he created it, only he has the sovereignty and right to determine when that earthly life ends, no matter how much someone's pain is. That gives us the great peace of knowing that in all the confusion and blurred lines in this world today, God has already given us his incredibly simple definition of gender, gender roles, marriage, and sexual relationships. That gives us the great peace of knowing the calling, position, and roles God has already given to men and women, no matter what the world preaches is important or worthwhile. That gives us the great peace of knowing what God's word teaches what love is as he defines it. 
that gives us the great peace of knowing that any social or personal dilemma is already answered in God's word. It's already there. We just have to be willing to go looking for it and digging for it. That gives us the great peace of knowing what our life's purpose is supposed to be. And that it has nothing to do with this world or building up treasures for ourselves on this earth. It has everything to do with glorifying God with everything we do and in every circumstance. I hope we've seen very clearly from God's word itself that we cannot achieve or gain true peace from anything in this world or by anything we can do for ourselves. True peace can only be given to us. Firstly, it can only be given to us as peace with God by repenting of our sin and taking Jesus as both Savior and King. Then the peace of God is given to us by way of the indwelling Holy Spirit, given to us by both Jesus, as he references in verse 27, and from God the Father. That peace of God is given as a fruit of the Spirit, being grown in us and through every circumstance as we surrender our anxieties and fears up to God in joy and thanksgiving and being given the military guard of God's peace protecting our hearts and minds. And that peace of God is given through his word and the Holy Spirit opening our spiritual eyes to understand it and its biblical doctrines, which in turn give us God's peace. All of this is wrapped up in another famous verse about peace. And that all goes hand in hand with everything we've already looked at this morning. Isaiah 26, the steadfast of mind, you will keep in perfect peace. Why? Because he trusts in you in every way, in every circumstance, for everything. Trust in the Lord forever, for in God the Lord we have an everlasting rock. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this very powerful passage in Scripture. Something that is the mo one of the most desired things in this life and the seemingly most elusive thing in this life. But Lord, we see where it truly comes from, how we can have it, how it can be grown in us, how we can come back to, we can always come back to you. We can always surrender ourselves to you again. We can always get back on the right path. We can always come back to your military camp. We know that you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness and open our, our spiritual eyes again to see what you have for us and, and what you want us to be doing filling us with the power of the Holy Spirit to do that, giving us the armor of God to stand firm and against every scheme the devil has to throw at us. Lord, I pray that if we haven't felt that military guard over our hearts and minds and we continually are in a state of anxiety, worry, and fear, I pray that we would take a hard look at where we are before you. And if there's any needing to come back to you, I pray that we would do that. If there's any area of our lives we haven't yet surrendered to you, I pray that we would do that. 
and that we would once again bring those anxieties and fears and worries before you with joy and thanksgiving, looking for joy, looking for your grace in every situation, and then, ha and then having the protection of that guard in Christ Jesus over our hearts and minds. Let us not just toss this out the window, but let us revel in all that this means to us as children of God. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.